BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Marketing News Canada. Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody, to another Marketing News Canada podcast episode. Canada's number one podcast in all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau, podcast host, award-winning agency owner, and full-time family guy. Today on the show, we have Letitia Manzanares, marketing director at Return It a stewardship agency responsible for the beverage container recycling system in BC. Letitia has a knack for all things marketing, graduating first in class from the University of Celaya in Mexico. She has a solid track record in developing and executing marketing strategies, brand and product promotion, graphic designs, and effective marketing communications. Beyond the office, she is a passionate road cyclist who enjoys long bike rides and challenging herself. Whether she's tackling a new project or hitting the open road, she's always up for a challenge. Letitia, welcome. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for your time today. No worries. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about marketing and returning and what y'all do and, you know, just everything about marketing. So we always start with kind of an origin story. So tell us, you know, you're you're not from BC originally and tell us your journey, how you came north from sunny Mexico to, well, it's November while we're doing this re- recording. So it's uh, a little wet and rainy here in the in the wet <laughs> coast, as we call it. No kidding, eh? Uh, well, it's been impressive. 14 years since I've moved to Canada. And let me be honest, I wasn't planning to stay here forever, but I fell in love with the country. Uh, so... Back in 2009, I I was working for Bachoco, which is um, pretty much like their Tyson or your maple leaf. Uh, we produce uh, like with the chicken, egg, uh, any other pro- like prepared product. Uh, it can be turkey, beef, pork, whatever. And it's sold across the country. Like it's pretty much your Tyson in Mexico, right? So I was there as a marketing coordinator, but I was always thinking about going abroad and studying and getting a a bit of an international experience, especially for work, because in Mexico it's important if you want to grow in the corporate world. 
So back then, uh, me and my now husband, we, we actually planned this together, decided to, to come to Canada and just do a two-year co-op program, one year of studying and then one year of, of like just internship. And we decided to come to Vancouver. Why Vancouver? Well, we said we are from Mexico. It is very warm in there. And we were like, okay, we cannot survive one of those cold, cold winters. Like in our minds, like anything below minus 10, it, like, it doesn't compute. Like it really doesn't. So we, we thought naively that the rain will be better. <laughs> <laughs> and I still think that. Sometimes it gets too much, right? Anyways, long story short, we come to Canada. I start doing my uh, program, which was only like a quick business diploma and English course, like certificate. So in Mexico, it's very important to actually have a certification for English. So I actually took my Cambridge certification, which is from the UK. They do a program here in Canada, I guess, because you guys haven't decided if it's going to be British or American English in, in oh. the way you speak. So. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it was it was actually a great opportunity, and then I did my co-op for a small company that was called Middle of the Mall Wholesale Inc. Um, it was pretty much a small company. We were five of us uh, based out of Winnipeg, but my boss back then, he decided to move to Vancouver. And he needed someone to help with the business in the, in, the, in the West Coast. So he hired me as an intern, and after the six months, probation period that I had with him, he decided to sponsor me and offered me a full-time position. So started again as a coordinator for him, and then I moved up onto being a manager. Um, my boss was an entrepreneur, so it was a very, very, very crazy, almost seven years of my life, because we used to do a lot of wholesale uh, B2B uh, picture frames and art. Um, and then after that, we start, he started moving on to other other businesses just to, to cre create a bigger portfolio, right? So he started doing SodaStream in the business section. So whenever you go to a restaurant today and they offer you sparkling water, chances are you have two different suppliers doing that. It's Bibro, sorry, which is a French uh, company. And then you have SodaStream. And it's literally your SodaStream machine just hooked up to a super big machine that can handle the volume. And it's literally the cheapest thing you can do. I think it's about, uh, I want to say like less than 10 cents a liter of water back wow. then. Like yeah. it's so cheap. The markup in that sparkling water at a restaurant is massive. Um, so of course, after a while, although I really liked what I was doing, there wasn't much of a professional growth for me. So I decided to look for something new and I found Return It. I just thought, okay, I want to be out of the retail world and start doing something that I feel passionate about and that I feel good at the end of the day. What better than recycling, right? So I applied for the job and thank God I got the job. And now five years later, I, I am the marketing director. I started as a coordinator and passed through project manager, manager, and now the director. And that's where I am. Wow. That's, that's quite the journey. I mean, and pretty fast too for five years. So congratulations on that. Can you tell us a little bit about Return? So for those of, of you listening right now that are outside of BC, Return It is actually very, very well known in BC for the recycling program. They've done very, very well. They have these puppets that are all over TV, bus ads, you know, social media, et cetera. And it's gone very, very well. However, 
that in itself is while it's a successful brand exercise, I don't think people really understand the marketing of return it and, and why, because it seems from a third party individual, you might think it's, it's B2C, but it's not really. So maybe, you know, Letitia Letty, as I think your, your name here says Letty. Uh, yeah. so tell us, tell us, uh, what the marketing program is for return it. Well, uh, the, the puppets, it's, they are actually now or pretty much official, like branded, uh, characters. Uh, we have five core characters that represent each of the beverage containers. But maybe if I take you one step back, it'll be, be it'll be more clear. So um, probably 10 years ago, before we created the puppets, we used to have a different campaign and it was called the Karma campaign. And pretty much anyone in the province will be familiar with this. It was like literally like doodles of a character that was doing something very bad to the environment, meaning tossing a beverage container to the ground, tossing a beverage container in the water, doing something bad for the environment. And because it was karma, we had a funny situation. For example, one of them, the, the little doodle will get hit by a lightning strike, or maybe it'll get eaten by a shark. Like it was just very, very good and very, very fun. But after a few years of using the same campaign, it started to get a bit worn down. And, and so we decided to move somewhere else. And we, we started thinking, okay, how can we have representation of each of the products that we actually accept? So Return It is responsible for all of the beverage container recycling in the system. And the system is free for the, well, almost free for the consumer. So it's not covered by, by your tax dollars. Like we, we don't, we actually are not a government agency. We are regulated by the government, yes. We're responsible to respond to them. We have to report on recovery rates and other other stuff. But we are we have nothing to do with the government, and we don't get any money from the government. And I want to make this very clear because I think at least once a week we get a couple of comments of people thinking that all of these campaigns and everything we do is paid by their tax dollars, and it is not. So the way the system is built is when you go to the store and you buy a beverage container. You consume it, you get a 10 cent deposit fee charge on your container on top of an e-coffee. And the e-coffee is just to cover for the actual process of recycling the container. But the 10 cent is actually meant for you to bring back your container and get it, get your 10 cent back. And it might sound like not much, but a lot of families in the province, especially if you're consuming a lot of water and pop and everything else, it really adds up. So. That's pretty much what we did. And when we start talking about, okay, how are we going to talk to the consumer without it being boring, right? Like recycling, let's be honest, is not the most exciting uh, field in the industry, but it can be if you, if you get a little bit creative. So we started thinking about, okay, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And we had several meetings. Well, I didn't because I wasn't working for Richard back then, but this is a story. Um, we started thinking about, okay, what if we were to... The, the five core container types, which is aluminum, plastic, gable top containers, and drink boxes, how can we pretty much like make them appealing to the consumer, right? And that's how we came with our characters. And when we started, these were actually like puppeteers, like puppets. And we actually hired puppeteers to produce the commercials. So 
today, if you go to our YouTube channel, which is YouTube Encore Pacific, um, you'll actually find our original campaign with the actual puppets and the commercial. So we'll have human beings interacting with the puppets, and then you'll see the transition onto an animated version. But at the beginning of the campaign, these characters were always angry. And the reason why they were always angry is because they were the beverage containers that weren't making it to the return it system to be recycled into new beverage containers. So same as in Karma, we were showing situations where someone was doing something that wasn't meant to be, and then the characters will give them a, like a naughty look, and they'll be like, what are you doing? And we even have a little bit of a jingle, and it goes like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I remember and that. And if you talk to anyone in the province, like, and you tell them, yeah, I work for Return It, chances are they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, there's puppets, and dun, 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 which is amazing. So that's pretty much the progression of how the brand got from our karma campaign to the puppets and how we use them. So now we have new challenges with new beverage containers accepted through the system, example, milk. So we introduced three new characters just to make sure that we have representation for all of the beverage containers that are part of the return system. And then we create animated ads that actually like replicate situations where you normally consume these beverage containers. So if we're gonna have um, a campaign on plastics and when you're out and about drinking, we'll have our plastic containers maybe running on the street and like being exhausted and just the end is gonna be them getting it to the depot. So we, we try to do something like that. That's really cool. And I, I love the fact that like you said, a lot of things that we do as marketers, yeah, it's not really the most exciting thing yet with a little bit of creativity, you can really make a memorable cam campaign. So I wanted to understand though, or help the audience understand the business model of it. Okay. Cause I mean, okay. I buy my pop cans. I get 10 cents for the deposit and I, you know, re recycle it and I get 10 cents back. But how does that become a financially feasible physical, like a, a financial model that'll actually be viable? Are your customers, so, your customers are not the, it's not me, it's not me going to buy the containers, right? So please, please elaborate on that. So back when Returnit was established, we actually started with a 25 cent deposit, right? And, and then that was meant to bring up a recovery rate. So we, like we wanted to make sure that this was a financial, um, like it was an important amount of money for the consumer, especially if you think about it, it's been 30 years since Return It was founded. So 30 years ago, 25 cents deposit is quite a lot of money, but it was meant so that the consumer will be conscious about that beverage container and bring it back to the system. So the years passed and our recovery rate started to increase. We started to go through several regulations through the government. As I explained, we are not part of the government, but we need to respond to the government and the Minister of Environment. So we started going through regulations and other things. People started to get used to the deposit system. The, and then we looked at it, okay, the recovery rate on each certain container sites are actually doing much better, but there are some others that are not doing as well. And there isn't, there isn't a need to have such a high recovery rate. So we started doing three different recovery, uh, sorry, deposit fees, five, 10, and 25 cents. 
And then as things continued to progress, we went, people started to get confused, right? Over the years, they were like, well, I don't know how much am I going to pay for, for my deposit? Like, is it five cents? Is it, is it 10 cents? And it was really related to volume. So it was over a liter, under a liter, depending on the container type. But if you don't read this every single day, of course, you're not going to be aware of how much you're paying for a deposit. So we went to a unified deposit. But you should, you, you're probably asking, well, that's great, but what's the recovery rate today? Well, the recovery rate today is 76.9%, which means it's very good. So if we are getting pretty much, giving pretty much most of the money that is being paid back, um, how do we pay for the system? And that's where the uh, eco fee or environmental fee comes into place. So when you buy that beverage container at the store, right, any store, you always see your deposit fee, which is 10 cents in BC, and then you'll see an echo fee. The echo fee is different on each container type. And the reason why it is different is because we take into consideration the commodity value of the material, and we also take into consideration how many containers are actually brought back into the system and how expensive it is to actually recycle them into new beverage containers. And I keep repeating new beverage containers because I gotta say it, Ted, everybody thinks that we, or in Canada, we ship containers overseas and that it, this is not a system that works and it is a lie. Everything that comes to return it, it's sent back to our producers, most of them in Canada, and then we send that material directly to our producers and our brand owners to produce new beverage containers. So. There is nothing in the landfill. There is nothing going overseas. And if it goes overseas, it goes to the state where we have, for example, our aluminum processing plant. And it's just because they are the biggest ones. And based on the volume, that's where we need to send our material. So that echo fee is linked to that. So if you look today at aluminum, I believe there is no echo fee linked to that. Because aluminum, the commodity price is so high and the recovery rate is so high that it actually allows just by selling that aluminum and uh, to the producers and the, and the brand owners to sell it back to them, it just covers for the system. So that's what it what happens there. Whenever you have a container type that it's new and that the recovery rate is not that high and we're still learning how to get it um, recycled and turn into a new beverage container, that's when the eco fee is set up a bit higher, but it's just until everything sort of balances out because our intention is never to actually charge the PC uh, with, with a fee. Like our, our intention is pretty much same as with aluminum, keep it at cost. So then is the, when you said producer and uh, product, I think you said beverage owner, like that's the, uh, if I use the brand names, like the Coca-Colas, the Pepsis of the world. So then do you, you collect it as return it and then you you sell it back to them is that what you do yeah so we are if you look at us we are sort of like intermediaries right so what happens is um our brand owners let's say pepsi coca-cola they report to us how many beverage containers they've sold in the province and they actually give us all of that deposit money that they because they already sold it right hmm. so they need to sell it with the deposit attached to it they give us all of that deposit, and then we are responsible for all of the consumers that take their containers back to a returned location, or they put it in their blue bin, and we're responsible to give those deposits back. So 
we pretty much work like um yeah, like the middle place where you, we get the money from the the mm. brand owners and then we give it back to the consumer and vice versa. And so because we are responsible to collect and then uh, process that material after that's processed, we go to our brand owners and especially plastic, which is a very high commodity in BC, it's actually sold back to our brand owners because they know it. Like they know, okay, this is a circular economy. Like this is a perfect loop. Like we get the beverage container out into the consumer, it gets brought back, we shred it into little pieces of plastic, we turn it into new plastic beverage containers, we give it back to the, the brand owners, they fill it up with liquid again and back into the store. Wow, that's very, very interesting. I, I don't think that I definitely didn't know that growing up. So that's something because, you know, you hear, OK, recycle, recycle, recycle. But like, how does that system actually work? So that makes sense. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So let's talk about the the marketing challenges for for Turner because this is this is slightly different, right? This is not you know you making a product and selling it to somebody, or you know it's not like a, a professional service where you're you know a yoga studio or something like that, right? You're not selling lemon pants, you're not doing yoga. So like, how does that work? How how what kind of challenges do you come up with on a on a day to day? Given you went from coordinator manager now you're the you're the director so what are the challenges well i think the biggest challenge is to turn i have a term that i like to use quite often wish cycling to recycling so whenever you are like putting your beverage container or or anything anything in in a place that you know mm, maybe it won't be recycled but chances are it will get recycled let's give you an example you're walking in downtown vancouver you finish your drink and you're you don't want to carry it right like you're like no i don't want to carry it that beverage container shouldn't make it into a garbage bin because it's not garbage it is a beverage container that should be recycled but you cannot find a bin nearby and we all know that um there are a lot of people that collect those beverage containers and they take it back to a returning locations for cash so your wish cycling will be to leave the container right next to the bin so to, in hope that somebody will come, grab it, and take it back to a return system. But you don't know if that happened. You don't know if out of nowhere somebody kicked that container and then it made it into the ground and it got run over. But like, you don't know that it actually got back mm -hmm, into the system. Mm -hmm. So that's what I call wish cycling. And that's probably our biggest challenge ever. Because as I explained, we our recovery rate is pretty much close to 80% nowadays, 76.9, not to exaggerate. And 
And so, as we all know, in the marketing field, that 20% mm-hmm. is the hardest to close. And so it's how do I convince the public that even though it's not convenient, like nobody wants to carry an empty beverage container on their hand, how will I convince them to do that and to bring it back with them home or to the first place where they can actually recycle that container? And that's challenge number one. Challenge number two, we live in a wonderful country that brings a lot of new newcomers every year. And of course, we, we come from a different country. Like I come from Mexico. And when I came here, we don't have a deposit system in Mexico. We actually do not have a properly set up recycling system in Mexico, to be honest. So I came here and I was like, okay, what what's going on? Like, I still remember the first time I went into the recycling room in my building and I'm like, what is this? Like, then somebody told me, oh, no, no, if you keep your cans, you get cash back. But I'm like, how? Like, I didn't really <laughs> understand it. Like, like, it was so complex to me. So that's the second challenge. Like, we really need to be able to talk to those newcomers and let them know, hey, when you move to BC, this is how we do things. And this is how you can do it in a super simple and easy way to, for them to, to do it without making it hard. Like, I, I'm not going to tell them, well, in BC, the system is set up this way. No, no, no. I want to keep it simple. It's simply go to the store, you pay 10 cents, bring it back, you get your 10 cents back. And so those are pretty much our two biggest challenges, actually, I'm lying. Our third challenge is our younger audience. And for anyone that is listening, if you have any tips on how to reach this younger audience, let me know. You know, this like young adults between 18 to maybe 30 years old, during that age where you you care about a lot of things, but certain responsibilities are not your top priority. And for sure, like you leave your recycling for someone else to do it for you. And we want to convince them because once they move out from home, once they don't live with their parents anymore, it's game over, right? Like nobody's going to do it for them. So how do we convince them that they gotta do it without waiting for them to be mature enough to do it. Like it's a long period of time between they are 18 until they reach probably 30, 35 years old. That's when they sort of reach maturity on that uh, on the recycling portion. I'm not gonna say maturity on everything. <laughs> so that's probably our three challenges then. Wow. So the the second challenge around newcomers and not knowing about recycling. I mean, we were newcomers. Well, my parents were immigrants. I, I grew up and was born in Canada, but how we knew about it was my dad, well, being Asian family, I never, never got an allowance. I don't know if you got an allowance growing up in Mexico, but like, you know, people here get an allowance. I didn't get an allowance. So they're like, well, you know, you can collect pop cans and then go to like the, the recycling depot and recycle it. And so I got money back. And remember as a, as a kid, me and my, my sister would buy candy with the money that we got. So it was kind of instilled in us that, Hey, you can actually uh, get money back. And then fast forward a few years of immature Ted and my sister Mandy, we might have thrown a couple of parties when my parents were away. And <laughs> the cans that we collected, we actually made, I, I remember one time I made something like $300 back just from yeah. all the cans and bottles recycling, right? So there is some initiative and incentive there. And I think, like you said, it's it's still a bit of money. So that's that's really interesting. Now, you talked about coming to a new country and how different that is just from the recycling standpoint. But tell me how it is just, you know, growing into your career as you have, right? You started 
it was on a whim, right? Hey, it's, it's, it's not super cold in Vancouver and we want to travel and we'll come here. And then you got a job and then now you're, you know, kind of running this provincial program from a marketing perspective. Tell us about that journey and, and the, the challenges that you saw. Yeah, well, I think the, the first challenge was to, to get the first opportunity, right? So I'm, I'm going to be forever grateful to my former boss who gave me the opportunity not only to stay in Canada, but also to give me the opportunity to do the internship uh, with him. I, I, I'm extremely hardworking person, and I believe that I, you should never say no. Uh, that's, that's my philosophy. You should never say no. There's always a way to do things. So if you don't know how to do it, you can figure it out. Maybe it's the Mexican in me. We always figure things out, and that's why sometimes we do crazy things. I agree. <laughs> but but you should never say no because because chances are you know how to do it. If, and if you don't know how to do it, you know someone that knows how to do it. And if, if they don't know how to do it, you have you have Google. You have all of these tools that will let you know how to do it. So when I joined Return It, my intention was to like, okay, I'm just gonna learn everything I can, and I'm just gonna be raising my hand every single time I can help and I'm just going to be working as hard as I can every single day and and it worked out it really worked out like it, to me this is just the result of like being extremely hard working being very open to suggestions recommendations of course nothing goes as planned so certain things didn't go as I expected but I learned from my mistakes and I tried to correct them and I tried to 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 actually learn from them and don't, don't, don't be afraid of that. Another thing that maybe for, for, for people that are newcomers, you should be aware of is the language barrier. So yes, at the beginning, like, still today, there are days when I have to do a presentation and I just wish I could do it in Spanish because of course today I don't think in Spanish anymore as I'm talking in English, it's just all natural. But when you're getting nervous or you're trying to express some big ideas, like still you're like sometimes struggling and it's just like, take a step back. Like you actually know more than one language. You know how to speak English and whatever is your home, home language. So you're in an advantage, right? So just think about that. You are presenting in English. That's amazing. I guarantee you, your audience, they cannot present in Spanish. So. Just think it the other way, take a deep breath and, 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 and take it easy. Like I, I, I remind myself of that all, all the time. Even for this podcast that I was thinking, okay, I, I'm not going to let myself get nervous. I'm just going to tone it down, take a deep breath and let it go. I mean, you've done, you've done just fine. The editor will cut out all my mumblings, but you know, you've been, you've been smooth sailing. So I really appreciate that. And it's true, right? Like, so I grew up in a Cantonese-speaking family. But even mm -hmm. then, like, my Cantonese is okay. I can get, I, if I'm in Hong Kong or in Asia, I'll get by. And there's no way that I would do a business presentation, a marketing presentation in Cantonese. I do it in English. And so I think it's a good reminder for newcomers that, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, it'd be much more challenging for them to do a presentation in your language. So I think that's that's really something to to talk about with regards to the notion of hard work not saying no or the the fact that 
So we, we have a lot of folks that, that come on the show and they talk about imposter syndrome, right? I don't know if you've heard of that imposter syndrome and oh, it's real, but I don't get a sense from you that you had that. I, I got the sense you're like, oh, I'll just figure it out. You know, like that's, that's kind, like kind of entrepreneurial. Like that's really how I started Ballistic Arts. It was, I don't know, I'll figure it out, right? Like, right? Sure. Yeah. And we started as a video production company and clients were like, oh, can you, can you do graphic design? Yes. Yes, I can. Can yeah. you do websites? Yeah, I think so. And now we're in digital marketing. Yeah, I think I can do it. I don't even, I'm barely on social media myself, right? But I got a team that I've figured out how to do it. So, so I don't know if it's like, now I'm, I'm Canadian, I'm born here, yet I do have immigrant parents. And so I don't know if it's that because they're like, well, if we could do it, you can do it. But I don't get the sense that you have this kind of imposter syndrome kind of type type attitude you just kind of like yeah I'll figure it out so can you talk a bit about that yeah yeah well I also think that I I was very fortunate when I studied my university in Mexico because my program was very very comprehensive like I my program included uh, statistics um, market research graphic design like all, all of the marketing strategies and everything else but it was very complete. So when I started working, I had the opportunity to actually do a little bit of everything, right? And I think that that opportunity that I had to work for my former boss, who was an entrepreneur, and he sort of like showed me the way. He was Canadian, born and raised. Like he, like his entire family is Canadian. So I think it really rubbed like onto me, like just seeing like he was the same way. He was just like, okay, yeah, like, I mean, with him, I even learned how to do some pipe, piping installation and water installation. Piping so installation, like, is yeah, yeah, that's, that's something like, I don't know how to do. Like, I mean. like if, yeah, if you want to get a filter installed like, under your counter in your kitchen, I can do it, no problem. <laughs> so what I'm going to say is like, like from, from him, like, because we were such a small company, I had to, like he was like, we need a, we need a website, can you do it? And I'm like, uh, okay, I think I can. I had a little bit of graphic design experience. I had a little bit of like web design experience. And then like, I was just like, okay, let's do it. I, by no means I'm a programmer or I can do a lot of HTML, but you know, there are a lot of tools. And back then I was using Adobe Muse. Yeah, I'm a wow. huge fan of the yeah. Adobe software. So hmm. um, it was easy enough to build. Um, and of course now I'm learning more, uh, more stuff and more techniques and I'm a little bit more familiar, but I don't do any more web design. But all of those little like learning experiences and all of those little tools that I had to learn how to use, like really helped me today because when I'm talking to an agency, when I'm talking to my team, I know how to, I know how things can be done. I know there is a better way and they can show me a better way, but at least I have a notion. And when they are trying to explain how to get things done, I, I can understand it. And I can also download that information onto my team so that we are all more efficient. So how do you, so you have this contrarian point of view, right? I guess contrarian to North American. You, you read a lot of things like learn to say no and stuff like that. And you're like, no, don't say no, just, just take it on. And so a lot of people talk about stress and overwhelm. How do you, how do you balance that? Um, well, I think exercise, I like at work, I try never to say no. Uh, to be completely honest, sometimes it can be bad. I'm, I'm going to say it, but it's just, listen, I come from a country 
in Mexico, we, we have way too many people, right? Like, we are like about like 70 something million people living in Mexico. It's just crazy. And, and the thing is, like, if you cannot do it, there is someone else that will. And that's the, that's the practice in a lot of uh, developing countries where they are like, if you cannot do it, there is someone else that will be able to do it. So I was, my, the beginning of my career was in Mexico, right? So I, that sort of got into my brain, like, okay, I got to say yes. Okay, no, no. And then I moved into Canada and I was working for my former boss and he was also the same. Now I'm moving to return it, which, by the way, it's an amazing company to work for. And I'm pretty sure I can say no. I'm pretty sure I can say no. But, <laughs> but you haven't yet. You haven't, <laughs> I yet. haven't yet. I haven't yet. <laughs> that said, um, I get. I gotta say, you gotta be very conscious about your time limitations and how much you can do. Like, I never say no, but I always say, okay, yes, it can be done, but this is how long it's gonna take. And I always mm. take into consideration timelines. Yeah. So if, if the timeline is super, super tight, I'm like, yes, it can be done, but something's got to give. So one of the projects, maybe we need to push it a little bit further back, or we need to put it in a back burner just until we complete this project. Um, and that has worked for me. And to keep the stress off, the best thing to do is exercise. Like, that's why I love to road cycle, because I just get on a bike, because they're on a bike and you're on the streets and you have cars and everything in between, you cannot think of work anymore. Like your mind. Yeah. Cause you might get run over by a car. So I guess that's, that's a good thing, I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah. sort of. So by the time I get home after a, a bike ride, my mind is clear and I'm like, okay, now, now I know what I need to do. And this is the order I'm going to get things done. And yeah, sometimes as everyone, maybe I need to work a little bit extra mm-hmm. some nights mm-hmm. or some weekends, but it's not always like, mm. It's just keeping a balance. But to me, you can say no. I'm like, like, you can say no, but there is there are ways on how to say no. That's what I think. That's cool. I like that. What about, so, you know, from a diversity standpoint, right? You coming from another country, they're like, we have at Ballistic Arts a very diverse team. And that's actually one of our strengths because ideas, you know, when you have folks from all over the place, all over the world, different different upbringings, different journeys, you make the best out of it. You get get really good results. And so have you experienced that? And, and how do you, as someone, when you were, you know, now you're in kind of a leadership position, so you can, you can provide more input. But when you were a junior, you know, providing input from, and trying to provide input from another country, another culture, like how did you navigate that? So, Wow, you brought back a memory. I do remember at the day, especially at Return It. At Return It has uh, it's super multicultural. Like we have people from everywhere. Like we have from Ukraine, Korea, Japanese, Chinese, Mexicans. I'm a mm. Mexican. They're like Irish. Like you have people from everywhere in the world, right? Which is amazing. Like I really like that because it's so multicultural that you can actually see how all of the different cultures, but when you come together, you make something great. But at the beginning, I remember thinking, okay, well, first, I'm a marketing coordinator, sitting on a, on a big meeting, right, and having an idea or thinking about a solution. And then I'm like, okay, I'm a marketing coordinator. English is not my first language, so I really need to think, how am I going to set this up? And then thinking, 
needs to be a smart idea. Like, cannot, I cannot just open my mouth and say, like, well, like, this is the way. So to me, it was, like, almost, like, I think at the beginning, probably people thought I was a bit shy because at the beginning I was really just, like, digesting, digesting, digesting. And then when I when I felt comfortable enough, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start small. And I started just talking about my ideas and everything else to, to my manager. And then at meetings, I started to get more confidence. I think my manager, she's great. And she noticed that I had good ideas and that I was smart enough. So she was starting, she started to push me to, okay, you're going to be the one presenting it. Like you're going to be the one and, and she'll be the one pushing me to, you're going to present that idea uh, at the next meeting. You're going to talk about this. You're going to be talking about this other thing. And that gave me confidence. That really gave me confidence. And I think for anyone, no matter where you're from, if you're Canadian, no matter, it doesn't matter. Whenever you're thinking, oh my gosh, is my idea good enough? Or if you're getting very nervous and anxious, just maybe take it a step back. Maybe bounce the idea with your manager. If you have a good manager, I guarantee you, they are going to tell you if it's, if it's good enough and if not, how can you make it good enough so that you can present next time? So I, I think I think from I think it applies to being a, a diversity like a diverse, but I think it's also it also applies to everyone. So what about now? Now that again shoes on the other foot, you are the leader. Yes. So now you have managers and coordinators and whatnot that are reporting to you and sharing ideas. What do you do? What What do you see in terms of? you know, growth for your, your team, growth for yourself? Yeah, well, I, I really, really, really want to make it further into my, like, in returning that, like, if possible, I would love to make it into the executive level one day. That's a personal goal I have for my end. But along with that, I want to bring my team with me. Like, mm. I want them to grow with me. So, for example, my team, I have um, someone from Ukraine. She's amazing she's so smart and she reminds me so much of me when i started like it's almost the same she's a bit shy but then she comes to me with ideas and then i i just i just repeat what i what i learned so i'm like okay take it easy one step back why do you want to do this like what is your costing and if i have questions like i i always ask them beforehand like i always tell them hey you're gonna get these questions so you need to give me those answers beforehand because the last thing you want to happen to you is being at a presentation or showing this to the president or the VP and them asking you a question and you being like, uh, 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 so you don't want to be caught off guard. So to me, it's just, and some people need a little bit more time than others. And to me, it's just finding that sweet spot where you are like, okay, um, your ex, for example, in this case, my coordinator, she is amazing at like, communication to the consumer but she still needs to work and like corporate communications where the other marketing coordinator she's amazing at corporate communications but she's not so good at graphic design skills so in my case i'm just letting them know like hey i think if you want to grow in your career you need to start taking some courses and returnity is amazing at that so for career and professional growth, they actually help you take some of those courses at the company's um, expense. So I just told them, hey, for this year, your goal is going to be to finish a course, 
on, in this case, corporate communications. And in the other case, I need you to take a course on Illustrator. I need you to understand the basics because <laughs> although we have an agency that does everything for us, we have a lot of things that we need to just turn around super quick and we don't have time to go through the agency process. It's just like, we need to add a logo here or we just need to separate this asset from this other creative. So that's, that's what I try to do with my team. That's good and leadership. Even, yeah, and you know what? I try not to, to think where are they from. I, I just try to think they are here and they want to make it here. So yes, their experience back home is completely valid and they are going to bring it to the table, but they need to apply those tools in in Canada, which is very different. It, it's absolutely true. I mean, for for me, I think you know we get we get a lot of people always asking why why is your team so diverse how do you do it is it deliberate it actually isn't it's literally just we're very lucky in canada and vancouver where we have a lot of folks from all over the world and now with after covid we now have people from applying from all over the world for for ballistic right and so we get a lot of folks and i just at the end of the day i i want to i great you have a great cv and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day it's like where where are we today here? Like, how can we work together on this project with this client now? And I don't see like, ooh, you're from here and therefore you must have that or you're not from here and you must not have that. Like, it's literally just, can you do it? Can you not? What are the ideas? Let's bounce. Let's figure it out, right? And so I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it as opposed to we're checking a box of like diversity, you know? Like, it's yeah. just, it's not that. Now, we're we're almost running out of time. I did want to ask... Uh, one more question around just where do you see marketing heading, you know, in the next six, 12, I know, I know, but it is something where, you know, you've been in the, you've done this journey for some time. What no, do you I, see? Absolutely. No, I, I'm just laughing a little because I've been going to a couple of conference lately and like, that's been the talk completely. Like where is marketing going? Right. And I think it's in everybody's mind. What's going to happen to marketing with AI? Let's, let's begin there. And I'm not going to talk about AI because I'm far from being an expert. Of course, we are all trying to use the tools and everything. Hmm. But I think Mark, like, I think in order to be a good marketeer in this market and in the future, it's going to be to authenticity. Authenticity. You really need to believe in what you're doing, what you're selling, no matter if it's recycling, if it's a pair of socks, uh, whatever it is. You need to believe in it. And you need to look at your audience and make it as authentic as possible. Like that's, that's what I feel. And that's why I think like even with AI, which is an amazing tool to use, if you don't, if, if you don't give it your own tone of voice, mm -hmm. eventually, because there's going to be so much noise. Like I can see this, like it's going to be so busy for the next couple of years while we figure things out and we're just going to be producing content nonstop. But I think the content that is going to resonate with the audience is going to be something that is authentic, that you feel that you're talking to them, not just another ad campaign or not just another poster or TikTok video or Tinder video, whatever it is. Yeah, no, I completely understand. And I agree. I mean, just on our end, I, I posted something on my LinkedIn today where, you know, we're always hiring for folks, but now there's chat GPT. And so we ask a bunch of questions. And we get people responding. And we actually had two completely different candidates who've never met, but they clearly use ChatGPT because the responses were almost identical, yeah. right, to our questions. And it's like, oh, come on. Like, 
at least try to copy edit it or something and and provide, like you said, that authenticity. Like there's nothing wrong with using the tools if you're going to use it to augment. Exactly. Right. But, but if you're just copy paste, like, oh my goodness, this is not good. Right. So, and I agree. And I, I think that's where, you know, a lot of marketers are concerned. And I think a lot of other people are concerned. Oh my goodness. Are we, are our jobs going to be replaced? I don't. I don't think so, because because these things can't think, at least not yet. Maybe ask me another six, 12 months. Right. But like right now, they are helpers with not much of a brain. And so we have to be the ones putting in our voice, our tone, our message. Uh, Yes. And we're always evolving. So AI will need to evolve with us. And the only way for AI to evolve is going to be by us giving it the correct prompts. And if you don't give them the correct prompts, you will never get the right, like the right results. Right, so I don't think we'll ever be replaced by AI. It's gonna turn into a tool that is gonna make our lives much easier and way more productive. But by no means, people do not copy paste from ChatGPT. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, please, please do not. If if you hear nothing else from our podcast, you learn nothing else from our podcast. Just don't do that. All right. <laughs> so we got a we got we do this typically with all our guests. Rapid fire round. It's just to like kind of get loose and get to know Letty a little bit. Okay. So it's just, you know, first thing that comes to your mind, you answer. They're usually fun, quirky type things. Okay. Okay. All right. So first off, where do you go biking? Where's your oh, favorite spot? Stanley Park. But not, not the, like the seawall. I like to go inside the Stanley Park, do the climb to Prospect Point and then down. It is amazing. Wow. That's great. Uh, what about, have you cycled outside of BC? Yes. Where is Whistler. your highlight? You've been to, you've hi- oh, Whistler, no, outside of BC, not outside of Vancouver. Oh, outside, outside of BC. Of BC. Uh, well, I took a vacation in Montreal and I r- r- rented a bike and I did the velo, is it the velodrome uh, that they have there? Oh, yeah, they have yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. Whew, amazing. I wish I had my road bike and I could do it as fast as I could. Wow. Are you a night owl or early bird? Early bird. Dog or cat person? Dog, dog, dog. Dog, dog, dog. Wow. Okay. I love dogs. <laughs> what are you streaming right now on Netflix? Um, I just finished watching the House of of Usher. The Falling of the House of Usher. Was yes. It was well, good? it was very related to Halloween, so it was perfect. Ah. I do oh. recommend it. It's excellent. So, uh someone from our team is from Mexico and we had a Halloween party and they gave, they, they brought, I'm not going to say it in Spanish, a day of the dead bread. Yeah. Pan de muerto. Yes. What do you drink yeah. with that? What do you take with that? Do you just eat it or do you, is it coffee? Is it, is it alcohol? What do you drink with it? The traditional way to do it is with hot cocoa. Oh yes. Or hot chocolate. Yes. Nothing better in the world than a piece of, bread from day of the death and hot chocolate you dip it a little bit in the hot chocolate and oh it's so good yes my daughter so they brought a lot my daughter ate they left a bunch my daughter ate everything every (laughs) morsel in like two days so yes excellent okay any any charity that you've supported financially or with your time and why yeah uh the food bank uh, we support the food bank. We actually, I want to do a little bit of a, um, how do you call it? Sorry. Uh, 
volunteering. It's mm-hmm. just I haven't found the time, but we normally donate to the food bank. Uh, I just think they do amazing. I have a few friends that have recently moved to the province and they are struggling a little bit with this economy and the food bank has been so good to them and that really turned me into a believer. So that's why I support the food bank. Absolutely. Actually, so uh, Ballistic Arts is in Coquitlam. It's a it's a suburb of Vancouver. And in the Tri-Cities, there's a, uh, an organization called SHARE. And so mm-hmm. we support their food bank, all their stuff. Like they have, they do, they don't just do food bank. They do like immigration services, substance abuse, you know, childcare, all those kinds of things. And oh. so uh, I figured I'd plug them because we, we do support them as well. Excellent. All right. Well, hey, Letty, how do we get a hold of you? Well, feel free to reach me through my social, social media channels on LinkedIn. I, Leticia Manzanares on LinkedIn, or feel free to, that's it, because I'm not going to give my work email. (laughs) That's smart. That's smart. All right, cool. Well, hey, thank you very much for your time. It was very insightful hearing your experiences and how you got to where you are. So thank you very much for being our guest today, Letty. Thank you so much, Ted. It was a pleasure. All right, everybody. That's another episode of Marketing News Canada. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.